0: one just came to jesus not too long ago i mean it's been a couple months since his brother been walking with jesus and the talent and and creativity that god has allowed him to have he's going to use it for his glory so we're we're thankful to have you part of us uh, here at Epiphany, so thank you, brother, so much. So I'm excited today. Um, I say that every week because I'm excited every week uh, uh, because today is the day that the Lord has made, Amen. And because of that, the Scripture says that we should rejoice and be glad in it. So I rejoice today, and I'm glad in the day that the Lord has made. So, y'all can join me in that if y'all want. If not, uh, that's okay. Uh, you deal with Jesus on your own time. Uh, but I'm gonna rejoice and be glad in Jesus. Amen? So listen, we began a series last week, uh, titled Unmasked. Did you guys enjoy that first installment last week with Unmasking Insecurity? Um, so we're, we're gonna be continuing in that today in that same series soon as I get myself together up here, <laughs> we're going to continue uh, in that series. So um, last week we talked about it being the fourth quarter, right? Um, and it's it's time for us to 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 step in gear and step it up uh, for Jesus. We want to see the least, the last, the lost, and the left out be reached for Christ, right? Uh, so we want to continue uh, in worshiping God through our um, our service. We want to continue in worshiping God through our praise, but. We want to take it up a notch. We want to take it up a notch in the sense that God has been so good to each and every one of us this year that there are some things, some of us could have been dead, y'all. Like, that's just the reality, and some people in our lives didn't make it to this point in the year. So we should give God praise because of his goodness to us and his mercy to us, keeping us and bringing us to this point. Amen? Amen. So we want to reach lost people, right? That's what we want to do. We want to reach lost people in this city, and by God's grace, we're going to be implementing some things to begin doing that. We're going to kick off a campaign next week. That's going I'm so excited about, and I know you're going to be excited about too, but I'm not going to tell you about it right now. I'm going to tell you about it next week. Okay, does that sound good? All right. So as we continue in this series, right? Uh, uh, titled Unmasked. Uh, it's the ho- it's Halloween, right? Halloween season. Everybody's wearing masks and all that stuff like that. Uh, pretending to be something that they're not, right? Uh, and it's cool to wear masks and pretend to be something that you're not most of the time. Uh, you can dress up like Superman, um, and pretend that you've got big, strong muscles when you may not, uh, you can pretend, uh, to be wonder woman and all that kind of stuff like that. Uh, it's cool to wear masks some of the times, but, uh, the reality is for most of us is that the masks that we wear, those masks are crippling the masks that we wear. Oftentimes those masks cripple us. And they hide us from the person that God has created us to be, so we wear those masks. Uh, And in fact, we've been wearing that mask our whole life. Y'all can talk back to me today. We've been wearing that mask our whole life, but God sent me to tell you today that it's time to get unmasked. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to get unmasked. Those of you who are on the end, turn to the person inside and tell them that it's time to get unmasked. Alright, so listen, today, I want to talk to you about from the title, Unmasking Indecision. Unmasking Indecision. Where are my indecisive folks at? Some of y'all won't even raise your hand because you're too indecisive. <laughs> that's alright. Uh, so my indecisive folks today, uh, and I'll tell you this, that's all of us. All of us struggle with indecision. We all struggle to make the right decisions, but oftentimes, we just struggle to make a daggone decision because we're crippled by what people might think. We're crippled about what people might say, but I want to set us free from that today and unmask indecision in our lives. So, a former president, right? When he was little, his aunt took him to the cobbler. Anybody know what a cobbler is? Not pie. <laughs> the shoe person, right? The person that would create your shoes. That's a cobbler. Um So he took him to his aunt, took him to the cobbler to get some shoes. And the cobbler asked him, do you want round shoes or square shoes? The young lad, the former, the future president, he didn't answer. He was unable to. So the cobbler said, I'll give you a few days and you can come back and let me know. So after a few days, the the cobbler ran into this future president and said, have you made a decision yet about the type of shoes that you want to wear? and the future president he he said no he had made a decision so the cobbler said okay come to my shop in 3 days and i'll have your shoes ready for you so when the future president arrived to pick up his shoes from the cobbler guess what he had he had one round shoe and one square shoe walking around looking crazy and the cobbler turned to him and said That'll teach you to never let people make decisions for you. And the president, when he became president, he said, I learned right then and there that if you don't make your own decisions, somebody else will. And I'm here to tell us today that that's what has happened to the church. See, the church has sat back and allowed the culture to make decisions for us. The church has sat back and allowed the culture to decide for us what family is supposed to look like. I I wish I had some help in here today. See, we sit back and we allow the culture to decide for us what success is supposed to look like. When God has clearly told us what success looks like in him, we allow the culture, watch this, to dictate to us what love is supposed to look like. And we're supposed to have the monopoly on what love looks like because Jesus gave us a new command to love our neighbors, not only that, but to love our enemies, right? And we're supposed to love in such a different way that it can't be imagined or understood by the world, but yet we let the world tell us what love is supposed to look like. And this is happening inside of you today, too. You've allow others to decide where you should work. You've allow others to decide where you should play. You should, you've should, allowed others to decide where you're supposed to live. And see, the problem with all of that is this. What happens to your decisions when God has clearly told you what he wants you to do? What happens when God has t- specifically told you to walk down this path and you allow others to make decisions for you because you're so worried about what they might think and how they might feel about the decision that you're making? I am going to help us today in the scriptures. Genesis chapter three. We were there last week. We're back there again this week uh, to see Adam here and his indecisiveness this morning. So turn with me to Genesis chapter three. We'll be in verse number one. All the way through the sixth verse. Hear the words of our father. He says that now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to this crafty joker. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now he know God didn't say that, but that's what the enemy will try to do to you. He'll twist up God's words and have you all confused about your situation and you won't know what to do with yourself because you'll be wondering, did God really say? Did God really say Don't eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Here comes the serpent. No, 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 no. Listen, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to see this very clearly. This passage, this verse says, the woman said, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and she gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate father bless these your words God communicate your truth to your people this morning God and I pray Lord that that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart God God and I pray that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth God it's in Jesus name that I pray with thanksgiving in Jesus name amen see What this passage shows us very clearly and very intently is the sin of indecision. See, we we see Adam, right, who was given clear instructions by God. And he was given clear instructions by God not to touch the fruit of this particular tree. God had gave him specific instructions. He said, don't touch it. Matter of fact, don't even look at it. God gave him specific instructions. And we see here in this passage, Adam deciding not to decide. See, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I want us to see this. I want you to see here that the sin of his indecision is that you don't make decisions about what God has told you. And oftentimes you think that by not deciding you're doing a better thing when God says by not deciding you're doing the worst thing of all. I'm really getting ahead of myself. Let me back up a bit. So the first point I want you to see is that the root of indecision is shame. Let me talk to my perfectionist in the room real quick. Where y'all at? Perfectionist, I see you. Uh, uh, let me, or, or if you've been coming to growth track, uh, if you came to part two, you know that C personalities oftentimes have this tendency, right? Uh, let me talk to y'all real quick uh, and let you know that whoever shamed you and told you that it's not all right for you to make a mistake, they lied to you. Whatever that person, whoever that person is in your life, whoever that person might be that told you it's not all right to make a mistake, they lied to you. Let me jump right to the gospel here. The story of, of, of Adam here, it has an ap- happy ending. Although at the first Adam sinned in the garden, right? There was a second Adam that was to come who would live a perfect life so that you don't have to. And he came to do that so that he could do away with the sin in our life. See, it doesn't matter what you've done. God provides redemption from guilt and shame. And one of the best ways to overcome the perfectionist fear of making a mistake in what you decide to do is to realize that deciding nothing is the biggest mistake. See, I want you to see a few mistakes that Adam made here in this passage as it relates to his indecision. So the first mistake that he made is that he allowed someone into his space that had no business in his space. See... When we allow others opinions to enter into our space, we are crippling ourselves from being able to make the decisions that God is calling for us to make along the path that God is calling us to make those decisions. Because we allow other people's thoughts and words to influence our hearts and our minds. Most of us are sitting around with mama's judgmental voice in the back of our mind with every decision that we make. Most of us are, are making decisions with our father's voice in the back of our head, and we think that he's going to judge us for making the wrong decision. When God has said, I've created you to be a man and a woman after my own image, and I've created you to be able to make decisions for flourishing your own life. And as long as you are committed to the word of God and doing what I've called you to do, you don't got to worry about that stuff. See, Adam let somebody in his space that had no business being there. That old serpent, he had no reason to be up in Adam's space. He had no reason to be anywhere near Adam, let alone talking to his shorty and telling her what she should be doing. He's talking to his shorty telling her, listen, go ahead and bite that up. God ain't really tell you that. Like, he ain't really say that to you. And Adam's just standing there looking stupid. Fellas, we better wake up. And stop acting silly when we know what the word of God has said to us. We better stand up and lead our families. We better stand up and lead in our communities. We better stand up and lead as God has called for us to lead. Second, he allowed himself to be influenced by a foreign voice that contradicted a familiar voice. See, Adam had spent time with God all in the cool of the day. Scripture says that he would walk with God in in the cool of the day or in the cool of the evening. He would walk with God and he, they would talk and they would have conversations. And all of a sudden, this foreign voice comes out of nowhere and Adam starts to allow himself to be influenced by that voice, even though he recognizes the familiar voice of God. What familiar, what, what foreign voice are you allowing into your life today? Is it doubt? Is it insecurity? What foreign voice are you allowing into your space and allowing it to influence you today against the familiar voice of God? See, that's what happens when we allow the culture and our friends and family to influence us over the word of God. Pause. I'm not saying that you don't take counsel uh, in the in, in, with people. I'm not saying that you don't adhere to godly counsel. That's not what I'm saying. Scripture tells us to do that. But godly counsel, watch this, will always be lined up with the word of God. See, if the counsel in your life is about their opinion, well, I think that you should be doing this. Nah, brother, I need you to back up off of me with that thinking stuff. I need you to tell me what the word of God has to say for my life. When people advise you based on their opinion, that's just not the type of advisement that you need. A mentor of mine said, if they aren't investing in you, assisting you, or interceding for you, what type of value does their opinion add to your life anyway? See, if people aren't investing in you, if they're not in community with you and if they're not in relationship with you and they're not investing into your life and pouring into your life and saying, hey, how can I be there for you this week? How can I, how can I help you this week? If they're not assisting you throughout your life and if they're not praying for you, what difference does their opinion make anyway? We've got to free ourselves from the mask of indecision today because God is calling some of us to something greater and we're crippled because we're wearing a mask of indecision. Lastly, he allowed choice to override his calling. See, when they saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and desirable for obtaining wisdom, you know what we used to call that in Sunday school? They said that's the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. See, they allowed that stuff to gang up on him. Adam allowed that stuff to gang up on him, and he really started to look and saying, listen, I've got some choices here. This tree, I know I got access to every other tree in this daggone garden, but I'm looking at this tree and I'm seeing that it looks desirable and delightful to look at. And it seems like it's good for some food. Don't allow choice to override God's calling in your life. See, Adam knew specifically what God had called him and created him to do. See, Adam had dominion over all the animals and every plant of the garden. God just told him, hold up, you can't touch this one. That's it. Everything else you have is yours. You could do whatever you want. And Adam allowed the the difficulty of choice to call him away from the calling that God had placed in his life. So what I want to say to you today is don't be afraid of a God-sized goal because of shame. Don't be afraid of a God-sized goal because of shame in your life. See, I want you to know this, that even if you mess up, it's still for your bless up. Ah, uh, that was better than y'all. Y'all y'all talk back to me today. Listen, even when you mess up, God says, I'm going to use that mess up for a blessing in your life. See, God wants to use every mistake that you make in order to teach you what he wants you to learn so that you can continue to move forward towards accomplishing whatever goal it is he has for your life. Why? Because he's perfect. And God don't need you to be perfect because he is perfect. Therefore, he can use your mistakes. So watch this. Here's what happens. When we get into the, into the mask of indecision, we get, we get caught up and we get frozen, right? We don't want to move. We don't want to do anything. We get paralyzed, right? But standing still is not an option. And here's why standing still is not an option. Standing still is never an option because you're never standing still. Even when you think you're standing still, you're drifting. I preached a, a, a couple of weeks ago that a boat in the middle of the ocean will drift if it's not anchored. A boat in the middle of the ocean, you, and, and guess what? It might even feel like you're standing still. It might even feel like you're not moving, but you are drifting on the boat if you're not, or you're drifting on the water if you're not anchored. I'm telling you this, that indecision is about not being anchored. If you're anchored, you can make necessary decisions that you need to make in your life. If you're anchored, you can choose to do the thing that God is calling you to do over above the things that you think people think you should be doing. When you're anchored in life, you can make the decisions that you need to make. So indecision is about not being anchored. Listen, I'm going to tell you this, your marriage will drift if you're not anchored. Your relationships, they will drift if you're not anchored. Your finances will drift if you're not anchored. Get you a plan. Make a budget. Y'all quiet, but I'm telling the truth in here today. Your finances will drift if you're not anchored. And then you'll look around and say, well, I can't give this week because, you know, such and such came up. Well, if you had your budget in order and had a budget together, guess what? Stuff wouldn't creep up on you and you wouldn't drift away. That's all right. Y'all could be quiet on that point. But the word is true. Listen, you can wrestle with indecision about whether you should buy that new pair of Jordans or not because people have shamed you about how your shoes look and whether or not you should continue to invest where God has called you to invest. But if you're not anchored in the word of God, Jordan will get your money every single time. And Jordan don't care about nothing but your money. Next, I want us to see this indecision is about freedom. God loves to steer a moving ship. Ah, uh, See, it says that the, a body in motion stays in motion, right? Uh, but your life in motion, guess what it does? It stays in motion. And if you are not on the move, moving and making decisions in a direction that God is telling you to make decisions and moving in the direction that God is calling you to move, guess what? You'll be stuck. And see, God loves to move. He loves to steer a moving ship. If you're tied up in the harbor of comfort and luxury. uh Oh, if you're tied up in the harbor of leisure. You know, I just got to look out for me in this season. Where is that in the Bible? I don't know where it's at in the Bible somebody help me. See, God usually won't give you clear direction unless you're moving. Your GPS won't talk to you if you're sitting still. It won't talk to you while you're at the red light. You know when your GPS starts to talk to you? When you're moving. And if you're sitting there and you're wondering, I can't hear from God. God I'm, God's not saying anything to me in this season. He's not talking to me. He's not telling me what to do. He's not helping me today. I don't know what to do with myself. Guess what? Stop sitting there and trying to wait and hear from God and get moving in the direction that God is telling you to move. You know where he tells you to move? He says, serve. That's what God says. He says, serve. He says that the servant among you will be the greatest among you. But you're sitting around waiting to hear from God for a plan about how you can be great. God says, I already gave you the plan about how to be great. Serve. Y'all quiet. Listen. God gives direction to those captains who point their ships out, out of the harbor and into the storm. See... Don't, I don't want you to be stagnated by indecision today. See, most of us, we see a storm coming and we say, uh-uh, I'm not going in that direction. I'm not going that way. There's a storm coming. See, I know what they're about to say about me if I do that. I know what they're going to think about me if I decide to go ahead with that plan. See, you know what God is calling you to. But you freeze up because you're predicting the storm. See, you're predicting what people might say about you. You're predicting what people might think about you. But listen... If you're in the boat and the storm comes up, guess what? If you're rolling through the storm and you've got the Savior on the boat with you, guess what? The storm can change in an instant. I wish I had some help in here today. That the storm could change in an instant if you've got the Savior on the boat with you. See, in his book, The Paradox of Choice, psychologist Barry Schwartz, he explains why we have trouble committing. He explains why we love to keep our options open. I'm about to step on some toes in here today. See, he says that as a culture, we demand choices. As a culture, we demand options. And We imagine that more options means more freedom. We imagine that limitless freedom must be a good option. But the irony, Swartz writes, is that this apparently limitless choice doesn't actually make us happy the number of choices available to us actually becomes overwhelming. And actually makes it difficult for us to ever have the joy of fully committing to anything or anyone. So when your options are full, guess what? Your joy is empty. When your options are filled up and you constantly pursuing after different stuff and you say well listen sure they're not really dealing with me but I'm going to keep this one on the side just in case." y'all don't want to talk to me today that's all right see he says that even if we do commit our culture makes it feel this makes us feel dissatisfied with the choice that we've made See, you might feel like God's calling you towards that art degree, but the culture is looking at you and saying, that art degree ain't going to make you no money. That might be true. (laughs) But you know what God has placed on your heart. Listen, we think that the multiplicity of choices will actually make us happy. But anybody ever been to a restaurant with a big old menu? I mean, y'all got 139 options on the first page. What am I supposed to do? You got antipasto salad, you got Greek salad, you got all types of salad on here. I just want some green stuff. That large menu is overwhelming, right? Right? But what if we took that same multiplicity of trivial options that we have at those restaurants and apply them to bigger decisions like where should I work? Where should I study? Where should I live? Here's one, who should I marry? I'm going to tell you this right now. If you got the Holy Spirit of God, and you're a Christian, and you attracted to her, go ahead and get it. You better go ahead and go after it, brother, because if you got the Holy Spirit of God and you believe in the word of God, I'm telling you, you can make it work. We want all these options, this catalog of choices. If she's fine and you like it, brother, go after it. Y'all could be quiet on me if y'all want. I'm telling the truth. I'm just waiting on the one. I'm just waiting on the one that God has sent for me. I'm just waiting on the one. The one that's got everything that I want. The one that got all the stuff that I'm looking for. Well, excuse me. If God was waiting on you to have everything that he was looking for, guess what? You still be sitting your butt right where you were, wallowing in your sin, struggling with indecision, if you weren't working, if God was looking for you to have everything that He wanted for you to have. What if we applied that same multiplicity of trivial options to where we should go to church? See, we, we like our goods and services. We like our commodities when it comes to church. We like them to have this ministry and that ministry. We like them to have this type of breakfast. We like them to have a certain type of coffee when we arrive. We like them to have children's ministry. We like them to be in in, in the city and doing all kinds of things for the community. But guess what? God is saying to you, you get where you get, and you dig some roots, and you serve, and you love others. Well, I just ain't found the right kind of church yet. Maybe it ain't the right kind of you yet. We use that same multiplicity of trivial options to decide whether I should even go to church today. Well, you know, the game come on at one, and you know what I'm saying. Like, I'm trying to catch my team because I'm in this fantasy league, and I ain't won in four weeks. But this is the week I'm going to win, so I got to be watching the stat line. Or you know what? I just need a me day today. I just need some time for me today. God understands. God knows what's going on. No, you're right. He does understand. That's why He's giving you the gift of community to be around other believers and brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can have your energy renewed and your strength built up in Him while you're in community with others. And we get in deeper trouble when we apply that same multiplicity of trivial options to who should I worship? See, it seems that we want to worship what we want to worship. It seems like we want to worship who we want to worship. And most of the times, you know who we want to worship? Ourselves. That's who we want to worship. We want to worship ourselves. But God is a jealous God, and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And you know what? He says that he means that. You should have no other gods before me. Check out the Old Testament and watch what happened to Israel every single time they tried to worship other things except for the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Keep playing with God if you want to. You'll see. See... I'm going to keep moving. It, it, it seems that the more options we have, the more afraid we are of choosing. See, we become enslaved to being non committal. We become enslaved to being non committal. God telling you to jump, and you just standing there looking over the edge. When God says, I could tell this mountain to be about it here. If you've got enough faith and guess what? That mountain will move. So you can get to the top of that mountain and God tell you to jump and guess what? He turns it right into a flat land for you. Y'all don't want no preaching today. Listen, we we don't want to make the mistake. We don't want to make a mistake or cut down our options. In fact, we may become so fearful of making a choice that we simply refuse to choose. Why? Because we don't want to cut down our options. And I'm submit this idea to you today is this, is that option is the idol of our culture. Option is the idol of our culture. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and why we want it. Have you ever thought that maybe God is just better at deciding for you what it is that you actually need? And maybe he's just a better, a a better father than you think you than you think you might be to yourself. And he's telling you, listen, I know what you need, boy. Stop acting crazy. Just sit back and let me do my work. But we want options. Idols. We want options because that's the idol of our culture. But can I tell you this? Your idols want you dead. Your idols, they want you dead. They want to kill you. See, we worship the idol of options. And for Adam in this passage and Eve in this passage, that idol of option wanted to kill them. It said, did God really say that you would die? No, 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 He didn't say that. But guess what? Look look where we are today. Born in sin, shaped in inequity heading towards the grave, the second that we are born. See, we worship the idol of options, and he's killing us. He kills our relationships because he tells us it's better not to get too involved because, you know, people might hurt you. They might say something that you don't like, It's just easier not to get too involved. So keep your options open as it relates to relationships. He kills our service to others because it tells us it might be better to keep our weekends to ourselves. He kills our giving because he tells us that these are uncertain financial times, and you never know when you're going to need that money. But if you really believed in the God that you served, you would know that your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if you are giving to him and being faithful to him, guess what? He won't allow you to be more faithful to him than he is to you. In fact, the scripture tells us that he's faithful to us even when we are faithless. So don't don't tangle yourself up in indecision and saying, you know what? Times is hard right now. I can't really give because I might need that money. No, God is saying, you do what I tell you to do and I'll provide for you. You do what I tell you to do and I'll remove the shame. I'm telling you, he kills our joy in Christ because he tells us it's better not to be thought of in this culture as being too spiritual. So you can't have real joy in Christ because they'll look at you like you're crazy. So we walk around like, well, I got to be tough because if not, they're going to think I'm soft. I can't let them see me rejoicing in this situation because they going to think I'm crazy. And here's the trickiest part about all of this is that you may not even know that you're worshiping the idol of options because he's pretending not to be a God. In fact, he promises you freedom from all gods and all responsibilities. That's what the idol of options promises us. The idol of option promises us freedom from all gods, freedom from everything that would command or demand something of us. He he tells us that he promises us freedom from all types of responsibility. So he lies to us and tells us that he's not even a god anyway. Keep your options open, he says. Worship me and you don't have to serve anything or anyone, he says. No commitment necessary, total freedom. That's what the idol of options tells us. That's a lie from the pit. Because I want you to see this. The next idea is this, that not choosing is a choice. Not choosing is a choice. See, Adam thought by not saying anything that he wasn't committing rebellion. Ah, we think the same thing. Like if I just keep my mouth quiet while they talking about Jesus, we do like old Peter did. I'm gonna stand around the fire and let them just trash Jesus. Let them just talk about them all bad, say whatever they want to say about them, and I'll just stand here. I'm not committing rebellion because I ain't say nothing. Nothing is further from the truth. By not saying anything, Adam made a choice. By not saying, hold up, Eve, we know what God told us. God said, don't touch that fruit. God said, don't eat of that fruit. Don't even look at it. We know what God told us to do, but yet he stood there and said nothing. And that's why we, as men today, you know what we struggle with? Being passive. Sitting there and not saying nothing. Sitting there and not acting when we know we should act. Not speaking up when we know we should speak up. We just let that old serpent creep on in our lives and tell us don't say nothing. It's all right. You're not making a choice if you don't say anything. But it's it's the furthest thing from the truth. The Israelites got caught up in the same thing with Elijah and they were battling with the with the idols and, and gods of, of of the other nations, and they thought by not saying nothing. That they weren't committing idolatry. That's why Elijah said to them in first Kings eighteen twenty one, he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? But when they chose not to choose, when they chose not to decide, they made a choice. And by refusing to act, they were actually turning away from the living God who rescued them. And they committed obscene act of spiritual adultery by worshiping the God of open options. See, some modern translations, they say, that describes that passage. Pull, pull that up for me. First Kings 18, 21. In that passage, it says that they, they were wavering between two opinions. But the Hebrew is closer to this word. They were limping between two decisions. They were limping between two decisions. Their indecision Was crippling them. And it's crippling you too. See, not deciding on a major in school is crippling you. Not deciding on a career path is crippling you. Not deciding on a relationship, whether you're going to move forward in that relationship or if you're going to let that thing pass because you're not really that interested. By not making a decision, you're crippling yourself and you're crippling other people. But furthermore, not deciding on a God option is crippling you. When you don't make a decision on doing what God has told you to do, you are crippling yourself. And see, we can't see it because we believe a few myths about choices. The first myth that we believe about choices is this, is that more choices means you'll be much happier. See, I've got more if I got more options, I'll be happier. If I got more things to do on the weekend, I'll be happier if I turn Sunday into Sunday fun day, instead of the day that we gather together to worship the king of king's day, we think we'll be happier. The second myth is that we think that more choices means better choices. We think if I got Shaniqua, Tanisha, Tiffany, Alizé, all them names. And we think that if we keep all them tucked, if we keep two and three on the side, that means better choices. That ain't true. Because you can't give yourself fully to any of those options. Therefore, It depletes the satisfaction inside of every one of those options. Uh, Listen, the last and final myth that we hold on to is that more options, more choices mean greater freedom. If I can decide to do more things, and if I got a bunch of options about what I want to do, then I'm actually free. Here is what the serpent meant. When he asked, did God really say? The emphasis of the word there in Hebrew suggests that there are greater options. And that's what Adam and Eve thought. They thought that when they looked at the tree, it was desirable to look at. It looked like it was good for food. And they thought that it was a greater option. When you wear a mask of indecision, you're ultimately telling God that the, that the choices that he has given to you, those options aren't good enough. You're ultimately telling God that the thing that you placed before me, the thing that you created me to be, the thing that you created me to do, I know there's a better option out there. God, you just don't know what you're talking about. problem with that is this. No matter what you decide, decision making, all decisions come with a little bit of pain. See, when you've got a bunch of options in your hand and you're weighing them and you're trying to choose between what you should do and what you shouldn't do, there's always going to be some pain. See, when you make a decision, there will always be collateral damage. What you mean preacher? There's always going to be collateral damage in the sense that everybody's not going to like everything that you do. Everybody's not going to agree with every decision that you make. Everybody's not going to like like every option that you choose. And you know what? When you make decisions, it will affect people, regardless of what you decide. See, every option, every decision has collateral damage, so most of the times it comes with pain, it comes with the pain of fear. See, Adam, I'm telling you this, the scripture don't say this, but I'm, I'm, I'm I believe it. Adam didn't know how his wife would respond if he had rejected her therefore he was fearful and he ate from the fruit because here's what happens oftentimes we've got one or two things we've got fobo or we got FOMO not four more we got FOMO I know never mind (laughs) FOMO is this. Fear of a better option. See, oftentimes when we don't decide is because we truly believe that there is a better option out there. And we don't decide because we're fearful that we'll miss out on that better option. FOMO is fear of missing out. You fear that by, deci- by not deciding one thing, That by deciding one thing that you'll miss out on some goodness that's in another thing. In other words, we think that the grass is greener on the other side. And we won't choose, we won't decide because we have a fear of missing out. God says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. You won't miss out on a thing if you do what God is calling you and telling you to do. The next pain that we experience is the pain of loss. See, Adam didn't want to lose the connection that he had with Eve, so he did nothing. Now, I don't know what happened to Eve when she bit of the fruit, but I do know this that disobeying god changes you over time that being disobedient to god will ultimately change you so i don't know what happened to eve when she ate the fruit but i know that adam had a fear of losing the connection that he had with her and he began to value his relationship with eve over his relationship with god and we fear the loss popular opinion. We fear the loss that everybody won't like us if I decide to do this. We fear the pain of loss of trust. My friends won't trust me if I decide to get myself in a better circle not a better, a different circle where I can have some influence with some people who are actually doing this kind of stuff that I'm trying to do. I can't hang out with my buddies like I used to hang out with them because God has called me to do some different kind of stuff. And we fear the loss of trust of our friends, but if they're truly our friends, guess what? They'll push us along, bro. Go ahead and get with them, man. Yeah, that's going to be good for you, man, to get around those dudes, man, because they're doing the same kind of stuff that you doing. They're going to help you out. we fear the loss of friendship we think that our friends are turning their backs on us if we decide to go in a different direction than the one that they think we should go in but if we're trusting god and being decisive my last idea is this is that being decisive allows you to walk in the image of God. See, God makes choices. The scripture is littered with verses about God choosing one thing over the other. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's good news for you if you are in here today, that he chose you before the foundations of the world and he decided that he was going to love you. I can get a better amen on that, that God decided that he would love you. First Corinthians one twenty seven tells us that God, watch this one. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. People might think you're crazy for doing what God has called you to do. They might think that you have lost your mind for doing what God has called you to do. But God loves to use the foolish things to confound the wise. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 God chose you towards salvation through sanctifying work of the spirit. See, God wants to do something in your life. And he's going to sanctify you. That means that he's going to clean you and purge you and continue to make you into what he has called you to be. And that's in the image of his son. So God will continue to to work on you and sanctify you through the decisions that you make. See, the decisions that you make, those are a part of your sanctification process. With every decision, God is pruning you. With every decision, God is shaping you. With every decision, God is pouring his sanctifying love over you. Therefore, when you decide not to decide, you remove the ability for God to prune you through your decisions. I'll close with this. Roger, you can come on up because I'm done. a couple decided, husband and wife, that the husband would make all the big decisions and the wife would make all the small decisions. And someone asked him, well, how's that going for you, man? He said, it's great. I haven't made a big decision in 30 years. Every decision has been a small decision. And my wife has decided on everything. I'm going to submit to you today that God has made the ultimate decision for you. And that he sent his son to a cross to die in your place. And because of that great decision that he made, Scripture tells us that before the foundations of the world, Christ died for us. And because of that great decision, every decision that we make is covered under the blood of Jesus. So you don't have to struggle with shame. You don't have to walk around wearing a mask of indecision because of shame, because Jesus has taken away the shame. He's taken away the guilt. Of every decision. That means as you go throughout this life and you're gonna make some dumb decisions. Some bad decisions. But Jesus is saying, come to me. I'll give you rest from the brokenness of those decisions. You don't have to walk around with your head down because you made a bad decision. You don't have to beat yourself down because You made a mistake. You don't have to be crippled by the mask of indecision because Jesus has taken away the shame. When we wear a mask, we prohibit our ability to see clearly. We can't see through those little holes in the mask, not how we should. Jesus is saying, take the mask off today and give it over to me. You don't have to wear that mask. You don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. But you can be everything that I've called you and designed you to be. If you would just trust him today. God's calling us to trust him in this season, in this fourth quarter of this year. He's calling us to trust him with everything including our decisions. So won't you make the ultimate decision today? Maybe you're in here today and you don't know Jesus. You haven't trusted in Jesus for salvation. You haven't trusted in Jesus today to free you from the shame in your life. You're walking around right now full of shame. And Jesus wants to free you from that shame. wants to free you from the pain of that you just have to place your faith and trust in him that's the ultimate decision that you can make and when you do that Jesus says I'll be with you I'll walk with you I'll send community around you to be with you and walk through this treacherous journey called life Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, God, that calls us to leave indecision behind. God, we don't have to walk in fear or shame or doubt anymore. God, because we've placed our trust in you and because of the trust that in you, we're delivered from every chain today. God, would you break the chain of indecision today in our lives? God, would you shatter the mask of indecision today? Shatter the mask of insecurity that we've been wearing, God. Shatter it into pieces that we might trust you. We might walk in the newness of relationship that we have with you.